Hey, everybody, it is Jay Stone, and it is time for another episode of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show. It is episode 46, and uh, our guest today is Lars Fredrickson. And this is a really good episode. Not to pat myself on the back, but we had a very wide-ranging conversation that dealt with uh, divorce and death of parents and death of friends and new music and all of that through the spectrum of... Now, you know what? Just listen to it yourself. It's right after the intro music. Right, so it should be time for another episode of Both Laugh, the Dying Scene Quarantine Chat Show, which is what we're still calling it, even though we're not really in quarantine anymore. Uh, and our guest this week theoretically needs no introduction. And as much as I think it would be funny if I just left it there and we started talking, uh, if you if you've been even a little bit aware of the punk rock scene and the broad spectrum of music that we call punk over the last thirty years or so, you're no doubt familiar with them, whether it's through old firm casuals. Uh, Oxley's Midnight Runners, Stomper 98, Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards, uh, oh, obviously Rancid. Um, ladies and gentlemen, the pride of Campbell, California, Mr. Lars oh. Fredrickson. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, yeah, you forgot, I, you know, but you forgot the last resort. I'm in I the, forgot last, the last resort. resort. I forgot probably know, a lot of things because you've been in so many things. <laughs> that, you know what that's called? At the end of the day, that's, that's called being unhappily married. That's what happens when... <laughs> And... No, but I, I won't trivialize it. But uh, no, the last resort. We um, we're, we're actually putting out a brand a brand new record on December the fourth. It drops. How did so I I'm miss pretty... that entirely? Well, it's it's kind of on you know because a lot of the times you know since the record company is European and and oh, it's okay. an English band, a lot more focus is over there. Plus, they're you know it's not like anybody's you know running down chasing them down, you know. Cause they're, they're a very, a lot, you know, 40 year old band, but yeah. um, still going strong, you know, and I, I, I'm pretty stoked because like, that was one of you know, that first record skin and anthems changed my life in a lot of ways. And now to be in the band and, making music with these guys, it's, it's fucking insane, but thank you for the nice introduction. Yeah. So, well, so I'll sort of jump around a little bit, but building okay. on that. So how did you record with it if you've got a new album coming out in december did you get together and record in person have you been able to do that or has it been sort of virtual or well what we did is we actually recorded the record before the pandemic okay. broke so back in 2019 and um it actually you know what i could be wrong it could have been early 2020 okay but i'm i'm not too i can't fucking remember <laughs> it's but been forever we, the pandemic has, for, yeah. has melted everybody's brains I want to say maybe it was 2019, but I feel like it was the winter time. So I, I could have been in November, 2019. It was roughly before it might've actually might've been December. I can't remember, but we, it was really fast, you know, because JJ and Mick, the drummer, mm. you know, they're, they're so good. And they've been, I mean, Mick or JJ was in the business, you know, anti nowhere league, you know, he's been in a lot of those, those bands over there. So, and he's just a, a very accomplished musician and, and Mick is an accomplished musician, of course. And then there's Roy, who can is just an amazing vocalist, but and he's got his own style. You kind of know when you hear the last resort, it's the last resort by the vocal, you know. Yeah. So 
but we got together and we did the record over a span of five days. And I think the first three days as we recorded, I think 13 songs, I think 11 made the record. Wow. And, um, you know, we just, we had an idea, like I had a bunch of songs that I had written for them, but I couldn't really fully realize them until I sat and, you know, we, we never really wrote together. Like me and Roy kind of, when I would do shows with them, you know, we would sh always share a room. So, cause he's like one of my old friends yeah. and so we know each other and, uh, you know, he would come up with these little one-liners or whatever. And I'd just be like, what did you just say? And he'd go, cause we were talking about something. He goes, better stick to the devil, you know, than the devil you don't. And I was like, what did you just say? <laughs> yeah. and, and he's like, better stick to the devil. You know, the devil. I said, that's a fucking song. And, you know, and I would pick up my guitar and I would kind of put some, some chords around it or whatever. And then that's kind of how it all kicked off. And, and then JJ had ideas and Mick would come in with some lyrical ideas and stuff. So it was, it was a, it was a really cool group effort. And we, and I feel since we've all been doing it for 30 fucking years, yeah. it kind of came together. And we, I think we made a really, really solid record. Like it's, it's it's very doom and gloom, you know. It's very kind of Black Sabbathy, you know, because I always thought they were kind of like the Black Sabbath of Oi, you yeah, know. Yeah, right. So they had that kind of hard, you know, heavy thing, and we we really kind of did that kind of thing there with it. So I'm, I'm a hope I'm hoping people will be stoked on it. But um, for me, it's it's just like you know, it's like a dream, you know. Is it coming out physically or digitally? Because I yeah. know everything's been so backed up the last year or so. But yeah, I think it. I think. Uh, it comes out on the fourth. I think that's all formats. That's awesome. I'll yeah. plug that when the time comes. But uh, cool. so let's start sort of the way that I start most episodes because this show, if that's what you want to call it, uh, started during the mm -hmm. pandemic. It started kind of as a way of um, sort of keeping in touch with people who had to cancel a lot of plans and sort of adapting to the new reality. And especially when we weren't sure what reality was going to be. Granted, right. a year and a half later, we're still not really sure what reality is going to be. But uh, I like to start with um, what was sort of going on with you in the early stages of the pandemic. I know that you had like just played your first solo show, like essentially the week before the world stopped. But so what reminds people what the year would have looked like for you um, if if the world hadn't shut down? Well, here's the thing, like in 2019, in May, my then wife at the time asked me for, well, I sort of asked each other for a divorce. Yeah. And, um, and my mom was also sick the second time with cancer. So, but it was manageable. She ended up beating it. So when 2020 hit, you know, obviously the pandemic happened and uh, I'm kind of getting divorced, you know, I'm not living at my house. Um, I'm sort of couch surfing yeah. through all of this, yeah. you know, I mean, staying where I could, you know, whether it be, you know, a hotel or mostly out on the road. So once everything on the road started to stop and I finally kind of got a place that was, that was kind of, you know, sort of consistent living space, um, I was kind of dealing with all that personal stuff, you know, so that was happening. And, uh, you know, I'm, we, I, we had the Dropkicks tour, Rancid had the Dropkicks tour at that time. I had gigs with Stomper 98 booked. I had gigs with The Last Resort booked. I had uh, some more of the solo shows booked. As a matter of fact, I was on the plane to Boston 
to do the St. Patrick's Day gigs with the Dropkick Murphys. Uh, I think there was three or four with the old firm and then two by myself, maybe. That remember. sounds right. Yeah. So, and I remember I was on the plane and I was like, I should probably get the internet on this flight. And I think, thankfully I did. I, cause I never do that. Cause I think it's too expensive. And I've right. said this in every single fucking interview. <laughs> so, but um, I ended up getting it. And so, and I was with my, my partner and cause her family, she was born and raised in Cape Cod. So her parents were in Florida at the time. So we thought, well, we'll just stay in the Cape, on the Cape. And then I'd just come back and forth and that saves money and so yeah. on and so forth. And so we're f- flying into Boston and every hour on the hour, another gig was getting canceled. They were pulling the gigs, pulling the gigs, pulling the gigs. So when we landed in Boston, uh, me and Joanna, like by the time that I got the rental car to drive us to the, to the Cape, <laughs> the tour had been canceled. So now we're like stuck with, okay. So now I'm on the phone with like the booking agent who also stormy, who does rants yeah. too. Sure. And she's like, yeah, we're, we're, we're hoping, you know, as of right now, this is what's going on. We don't really know, but if you can get home, try to get home as soon as possible. That's all I knew. Right. So, but now I'm like, well, you know, do we stay here on the Cape because there's nobody fucking here. Right. right? Cause it's right. the winter time or, yep. you know, it's before March. the season. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, or do we, you know, try to hustle back? And I said, well, at least we have a rental car. So worst case scenario, you know, we'll drive cross country if they shut down the airlines. And then she's like, well, what if they shut down the gas stations? I'm like, well, fuck, I've been to the Midwest. <laughs> I don't want to be stuck there. No, yeah, no, right. no, 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 right. no offense, right. no offense, but I don't want to be stuck out there, you know, in Wyoming or whatever, because some of those highways are so desolate, right? Right. And I just pictured like the red roof in, in the middle of Wyoming. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> You know, so, but, so we, we hunkered down for about a week. And then when we got back, you know, I couldn't, it's not like I could come and see the kids. I could go see my mom. I could, cause nobody knew what was right. going down. So I just kind of stayed uh, with my partner at the time. And then, you know, when, when I, when that wasn't available to me, I would go and try to get into a hotel or whatever it was, but it was, everything was fucked. So and they were trying to shelter a lot of the, the homeless people here in town and give them hotel rooms, which I thought was pretty fucking rad. Wow. You know what I mean? Keep them safe and stuff. Yeah. So like, you know, there was a few times where I might've taken a little nap in my car, <laughs> let's just say. And it's so funny because I felt like this hobo, a yeah. hobo with a hobo with a platinum record. Right. So um, <laughs> I just thought the irony, it was like, what's the lesson here? Like, yeah, what is right. the fucking right. lesson here? Well, talk about coming full circle from the early days of growing up, but. A young totally. punk rocker. But, yeah. But but that's the thing. I was sort of it's whether I like it or not, I've been trained to do exactly this. Yeah. You know right, I mean? Like right. this is how I live, you know. It's just I'm a vagabond, right? I mean, you know, so but uh so it, it like my mom, so uh, so all of a sudden, like everything started to kind of switch, like, okay, now we're gonna push these tours to October, September. Right. Okay. And my mom got her third bout of cancer, and this time she was just like we didn't, I never went down there to see her because, you know, they were said, stay away. So for two months, I didn't see her. And then one day I called her and it took her like three days to call me back. And I actually had a friend down there go and check on her. And he, what she said, you know, she's doing okay, but she wasn't. Mm-hmm. So I said, fuck it. I'm going to go down there. So I said, come on, we got to go. I don't care about any of this. I got to go check on her. And thank God we did. I thought she was dead on the couch, you know? Wow. And, um, 
So I walked in the door and she's not moving. And I'm trying to see if she's breathing and I could barely get her up because she did this, this chemo that on her whole body. And it, it just took, it basically took the life out of her. I yeah. don't know. It's funny how we can send a man to Mars to the moon and we can't cure cancer yet. And it's just right. like, it makes you right. think about who's controlling the fucking world. And it's, you know, obviously the big pharmaceutical companies that want to keep you sick and want to keep you dependent on them. I mean, they're the biggest drug dealers in the world and Absolutely. it's not a conspiracy theory. That's just a, the truth. It's like, you can see it. You turn on your fucking TV, see how many commercials you get about drugs. You know what I mean? So as, as somebody who works firsthand uh, in the addiction treatment industry, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, I've been, I've been sober 28 years, you know, yep. and it's like, I, I see how these like little things, these little epidemics pop up, whether it would be the, the oxys and the fucking the fentanyl and all that shit. And it's like, come on, this is, this is like, and then even the food you talk about yep. the food and it's not, it's not like, and I hate when people like come back, well, that's just you just being blah, blah, blah. But it's just like, well, no, it's just the fucking truth. Like you right. look at the fucking science, the genetically modified, right. all this fucking shit that is not good with us, all the fucking corn and the soy that they put in the food that makes right. you fat and unhealthy. I'm sorry, right. it does. And dependent but, on it, like to have to go back to it because of what well, it does to your whole, blood sugar. That's and, the and, game. Yeah. If I'm in a, if I'm in, it's like being a musician. I put out a good record or try to put out a good record. So you come see the show. Like, right. you know, right. I mean, it's, it's not just as simple as that. I mean, I'm a musician for a lot of other reasons, but that's part of the process, right? Right. So if I'm a fucking corporation, I'm going to make your light bulbs not last as long as they used to, because I would need you to buy more. If right. I, I, I'm going to make you fucking fat and sick and all these <laughs> people have like, you got, oh, your leg twitches, then you yeah. need this pill, but it might yeah. cause you chronic diarrhea, throwing up your fucking guts and shitting out of your neck. It's like, well, yeah, but like, there's the pills fuck? for those things too. <laughs> True. So yeah. you can counterbalance right. that, right? But anyways, to not to get quiet. So anyway, my mom's basically said, I don't want to do this anymore. And I'm, I'm kind of, I'm not to trivialize the pandemic or what we were in, but like, I'm sort of happy that it happened because it really slowed me down because mm -hmm. I was able to kind of focus in on like the, 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 like, okay. So I used to think that like loss, like when someone died that in some way I would like personalize that. Mm -hmm. And Watching my mom, because every time I dealt with a death in my life, it was always pretty immediate. It was like either an OD, a, a, a murder, a suicide, or whatever it was. You know, it was very immediate. And yeah. like in anybody who died, like my brother died from a cardiac arrest, right? Because his heart was enlarged three times the size of a normal heart, right? So his body was working overtime. So he had a heart attack and just died on the spot. So it was always very immediate is my point. Yeah, And so being able to walk and sort of do this like kind of journey, if I can call it to the next, you know, to Valhalla, as she would like to say, sure. You know, um, it kind of made me realize that this is not happening to me. This is happening to her. It's just something I got to deal with. Right. So I'm already separating myself right there and kind of realizing that um, and maturing in a way because it's not, it's part of the, the, the thing that we're doing here. It's like, no one gets off. Everybody gets off at that same bus stop. That's why I always think the things of like race, religion, and creed and everybody fights. Yeah. It's such bullshit. It's right. like, just the, just death should teach you that it's like, right. we're all the fucking same, right? right. It doesn't matter. It fucking no one gets out alive. Yeah. It just doesn't matter. It's, yeah. It just doesn't matter. And, and, and it's like, what's your race or who, what God, or, you know, who you want to sleep with or how you want to dress or 
how you want to identify. I don't give a fuck. Like <laughs> we're all going to die. Who right. cares? Right. Live your best fucking life. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. So having all these realizations and I always knew that part, but my point is, is that, that this, this other thing, like, you know, I would always kind of take these things a little bit personally. Right. And, and separating myself and watching her transition to whatever may be that the next, you know, it kind of gave, it was like a sense of comfort, but it also helped me let go of a lot of the shit. And it's like, I realized, oh, fuck, I got all these vampires in my life and all these hanger ons. And, you know, I don't want to talk mad shit about people and I won't because I got a little class, but <laughs> like a lot of those, those negative relationships that I had been in and some of it had been in for a very long time started to shed. Yeah. And it was like, I was like, I wasn't even doing anything to do that. All I was doing was having these realizations. And then I was getting like more spiritual in the sense that I've always been a very spiritual person, but like then just reconnecting with that, and like in a major way, like I've always been super connected with my pagan roots, my imagery, everything. Like you, you kind of know where I stand of course, yeah. when, it, when it comes to that stuff, you know, the, the rune symbols, the things like that, you know, that are very important to me that are, that I believe in that are powerful and they're magical to me. Right. To and that's I know that sounds pretty fucking corny. I want a 25-year-old me would have punched <laughs> me right in the face. But my point is, is that like where I was with this trend watching her die, like and being there, like I, I ended up going down there and living with her for like basically the last six months of her life in Campbell. So I'm back in Campbell, my own stopping ground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like I'm just getting those same fucking feelings, and I'm like telling people to fuck off. And I'm like, you want to fight, you want to go, like I'm because you know. It's just that's what happens to me down there. I gotta leave because yeah. the sun is too hot. I think it burns my brain. I'm Danish. <laughs> I'm supposed to be out in the wilderness, exactly. Snow, right. right. You know, hunting, you know, hunting with my pet wolf. You know what <laughs> I mean? In a loincloth. So, right. like, you know, um, I, I, I just, I, I, I started kind of facing a lot of these things, and then not being with my kids as much as I wanted to be, and then leaving my home that I you know, had built, you know, I had been living in for the last 20 plus years and, and, um, leaving, you know, then realizing, oh shit, my brother's gone. And, you know, all these friends are gone and how many divorces or how many marriages I missed or, or deaths I couldn't make it to, or all these things that like were coming and spinning and hitting me and all at that same time, because I was so slowed down now, I had no distractions. Right. I was stuck with myself. And, you know, it wasn't the first time that this happened. I sort of knew what the process was going to be. Um, but I, I kind of really sat with it for the first time and really just and was willing to like, let it all come in. And it's funny because I let it all go. I let the kids go. I let the house go. I let money go. I let family go. I let all these things go. And it's so funny how that all comes right back. You know, it's like, it's, it's like your, it was my relationship with all these things. Yeah. And it's like the gods and guns song. It's like, I mean, if you want me to get into it, it, it you know, I can, if you had a question about it, I can save it. You No, you can keep going. That's fine. I, I truthfully, and not to blow smoke up your ass, I could listen to you tell stories all day. So oh, thank you. <laughs> well, I mean, I'll segue this into the gods and guns thing because for, well, uh, yeah. so I'll start it by this. So okay. for those that okay. don't know, I like to be sort of, I pretend I'm Conan or whatever. Like, uh, <laughs> go, I wish. Uh, not on right. my best day. 
I'm not tall enough or redheaded enough. Uh, oh. Lars has a new solo album. That's kind of what we're we're here talking about. It's out on Pirate yes. Press Records soon. I don't know exactly what the release date is because I think those November are November all... 26th. November. There you 26th. go. November 26th. Uh, it's called To Victory, and it's it's awesome. And when he says Gods Thank and you. Guns, the first song on there, which some of you probably know anyway, uh, is Gods and Guns. And so now you can sort of go into okay. that. Well, originally I recorded that song with the old from Casuals. Um, and it was it took place in, over in England when I wrote the song. And I wrote the song maybe about a year or so before we actually had a chance to record it because we had so much other stuff. And um, I was staying with my friend Nick, who, works, who was working at this place called Skunk's Tattoo. I was over there doing a little tattoo thing. And Nick has an affinity for Gretsch guitars like I do. And when I walked into my room, because I'm staying with him, he's got an old Gretsch white falcon. The case is open. It has a nice little note, a note says, enjoy. Hope you can be creative while you're here. Because he's my homeboy. And he, yeah. this, my, man, my man Nick is amazing. Because he, he's like, he's had the most amazing life. You think that, you know, some people have, had, I mean, he, he joined the French Foreign Legion. And he was fucked up when he did it. So he joined the the the. the Cause there's two parts. There's the English speaking and then there's the French speaking. Oh, okay. He, I didn't know that. He didn't, he didn't speak French, but he joined the French one. <laughs> so, and he became a paratrooper. Well, a lot, anyways, Holy shit. They, they give you a new name and a whole new identity. It's like legit what you hear. And so and he's got all these mad, crazy stories. Cause he was an old football hooligan, but anyway, and he had to get out of the country. Yeah. So, um, so I, I'm, I, we were talking about, because he's he's he he doesn't drink or do drugs anymore. So we were ta- kind of talking about you know our experience because he was an orphan. You know, by the time he was two or three years old, and my dad was the same, and my mom grew up in Nazi-occupied Denmark in World War II, and sure. saw her family get killed when she was like five. It's just like gnarly, gnarly shit, traumatic yeah. shit. Yeah, not a you know you know not what people are calling trauma these days, yeah. like real traumatic shit. shit. We not, can't even comprehend unless you've Right, and I'm, yeah. sure, I'm sure that there's people out there that have dealt with that kind of stuff, and that's hardcore, and that's they, they have the right to use that word. Mm-hmm. But um, so we were talking about how, like, how we come into this world and our parents lie to us from basically day one, kind of how the fact that they tell us there's Santa Claus, they tell us there's the Easter Bunny, they tell us if we play with it for too long, we go blind. Right. You know, the whole fucking game. Yeah. Right. And it's like, and then you're constantly being told you're to do these certain things a certain way. And it's like, there's not, it's not the whole truth. Right. So like, and I didn't really have that experience to a certain degree. Like my mom was very social and, you know, very liberal. So, you know, it was always very accepting, you know, and it was always very open-minded and, she had gay friends and, you know, people of different colors and different religions. She didn't care about any of that. And I think that's one of the good things that we took, you know, that moral compass, you know, of right. knowing the difference between right and wrong. So I never really saw race, religion or creed or any of that stuff until later on in life when I was exposed to the real world. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, and, and I sort of kind of saw it was a lot about finances, too. It was a lot. It was very economics. You know what I mean? And. And how, whatever, that's a whole other thing. So the gods and guns thing, like I, I had the idea for the song and I, you know, I say, you know, it's, it's fucked up, but I'm right. Yeah. And, and it's, that's almost a tongue in cheek thing. Cause I actually say that to my kids when, when I'm telling them to do something, like, well, I'll be like, well, it's fucked up, but I'm right. So, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, go do right, it. Yeah. Right. you know, so, and I understand that you're uncomfortable, but you're going to have to deal with that, you know, being uncomfortable. 
Yeah. And I, and we started thinking of you know, talking about like the experience that, you know, how we're seeing the world and maybe it's an old school view or maybe it's outdated. I don't fucking care because I'm 50 <laughs> and I don't give a shit what anybody yeah. says anymore. Right. So, but we're talking about like, you know, just how like participation trophies and like, just because you show up and you played on this team, here's your reward. It's like, it's such bullshit. It's like, how about fucking winning something to get a trophy or, yeah. or showing a little grit to get recognized, right. you know? Not just, you know, it's like, but anyways, it's society oh, I get it. and it's, yeah. it's the culture, right? Yeah. So, and I think it's, it's, it's from people from a certain era have this yep. idea, right? And now everybody has a voice, right? And some people who should never have been allowed to have one have one, <laughs> right. including myself. My and point, they're all considered equal is the thing, like. Yeah, but it's like people just grab onto catchphrases or clickbait yeah. and then make a form opinions. And then, you know, if you say something, it's just, it's just stupid. The whole fucking yeah. thing's stupid. And it's like, well, go back to the original thing. We all get off at that same fucking bus stop. Right. What are you tripping about? Right. Why do you got to fucking do this shit? Why are you worried about this shit? Go right. live your fucking life. You know, go take a vacation, you know, yeah. Yeah. but get a girlfriend, get a boyfriend, get a whatever friend, you know, like, so the gods and guns thing, it was like, it was a song I kind of wrote uh, for my kids. And it was like this, it was like this thing where I was kind of like, well, the world isn't a safe place. I'm sorry. It's not, it can be, you know, what can, but where you're going to find security and where you're going to find love and where you're going to find acceptance is not from out there. Mm -hmm. And that's why, you know, people see it as an unsafe place or a safe place. Right. So we're, if we're coddling everybody and they're not falling down and scraping their knees, knees, if they're not going through any challenges or any obstacles or having to climb over any speed bumps, then how the fuck are they going to be fucking out in the world and living? Like if you take all that away from them, they have no opportunity to mature. And then they have this sense of entitlement, like they're owed something. Right. 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 And it's like, I'm not going to teach my children that way. I'm sorry. I'm not like, they're going to have triumphs and tribulations. They, they will. But it's like, if I'm trying to take them, of course, I'm going to try to keep them as innocent as possible for as long as possible. Right. But I can't stop the gangster rap from my 10-year-old listening to it. Yeah, and yeah. That's what he loves. Yeah. And how is the fucking the, his dad with a fucking tattoo on his forehead <laughs> who said more said fuck more times on a record than in probably anybody he knows? Right. It's gonna tell him he can't listen to that. You, right. I can't do that. It's art. Right. Yep. You know, it's their art. You know what I mean? And I'm not going to censor anybody's art. I'm not gonna censor anybody's humor. I'm not gonna censor any, anybody's thoughts. That's just not, that's fascism when you do that. That is right. fucking fascism. And you can do that being a left wing or a right wing guy. Oh, absolutely. You can do it. Yep, yep, absolutely. You know I mean? So the point why I was trying to make with them is like, look at that, that connection that you have to the outside world. If you're trying to find security, love and all that stuff, you're not going you're never going to find it. It's always going to be the illusion. You're going to get tangled up in the bullshit thinking that you have to have this car have this girl or whatever, have these shoes, have this, have that to make your life better. Sure. Some of these things do make you help, help you enjoy life a little bit better, but they don't make your life. Better. Yeah. Yeah. Right. What makes your life better is in here. So if you understand the difference between right and wrong, right. And if you understand, if you, if you, if you can acquire a good moral compass and that means treat every man every woman, every person, right? On an equal footing from the very moment, 
And if they fuck you, then you can make a judgment. Yeah, it's yeah, not right. a judge. It's not a judgment on everybody who looks like that, talks like that, dresses like that, whatever. Right. It's not. It's about that individual, right? Because we have a uh, we we have a thing. I think in this culture is we take one thing and we demonize it. Yeah. We demonize it so hard that like it no longer can. You know, it's like if you have hate here, and I see that with you, you know, whether it be hate for your brother or hate for this or hate for that i let you experience that because there's no way for you to grow and to mature if i try to take that from you if i try to if i stifle that in you if i say you're wrong and i say you're wrong and i say you're wrong what the fuck do you think you're gonna do you're gonna go fuck you dad exactly right 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 smart enough to know that my mom (laughs) tried to stop me from being punk when i was 10 yeah guess what 50 still doing it so do you understand what i'm saying yeah oh absolutely so I just let them have their moments, whether I think it's right or wrong. I let them have their moments. I can try to teach them better. Right. So they have to find it in here in order to be good out there. Right. So that was my whole point with that song. You can't cling to this shit. Right. It's, it's all about here. And this is where you're going to find the true peace in my experience. Sure. So why uh, you started, there's a, a mention in the liner notes about that you recorded like 16 songs, I think at first for this project, yeah. how did you go about even starting the process of whittling down everything in the, the Lars Fredrickson catalog to what would work well for solo and then which six to put on this? Well, it actually started not with that initial, what you're having in your hands was actually the third concept. Oh, like, really? Yeah. So I went in there because, you know, I was like I said, I was going through a divorce and I was going through my mom's stuff and sort of figuring that all out. And like I said, getting back into, you know, the spirituality, this connection I had and and, you know, just kind of feeling like just giving it all away. I was just like, fuck it. Just have it all. I don't care. It doesn't like I said, last bus stop. Yeah. So I went in there and I had like 35 songs that I had been writing. I just for whatever reason, I've always been pretty prolific as a songwriter. And I, and now that I have like five or six channels to do that, you can now, you can now see that I used to do that with my production. That's where I produced 30 records, you know, but so now that I had more avenues to do that, um, I had all these songs and I'm like, well, what's right for this band or what's right for this band or, you know, kind of those things. And there was a few that I had written for that were better for maybe this band or whatever, but I had like, you know, 10 of these, 12 of these fully sort of realized, I mean, if they weren't fully realized or 98% yeah. fully realized. So I just kind of went in and I, um, and I recorded them, just me, click track, the guitar, and I would do the, the, the lyrics and I didn't concentrate on getting them all right or, you know, singing it perfectly or whatever. So I had started, I recorded all these new brand new ideas. Right. And then um, at the same time I had done that show. Now we're in the pandemic. And I was like, well, wait a second. And there, there was still an, uh, at the, at the time there was still a hope of like, oh, maybe we can push these shows. So I thought, well, maybe I got time to go in and kind of maybe bang out. This is kind of happening while I'm doing this other thing. And maybe that now I can get something out. Maybe I'll do some cover songs and I'll record these and then see what's the best. And then people can leave with, an, with uh, something that was kind of like what I just did on the stage, this Billy Bragg kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, right. So that was kind of in the middle of getting these other songs on the tape and to kind of get them sort of uh, just down and you can move on. And uh, so I started recording, like I did a, another 16 
So, and so the six that you, that are on that first EP, um, are the, I thought were the, uh, the ones that translated the best out of the ones that I did in this kind of dynamic, because when I did that show at Eli's, first of all, I didn't think I was going to have a sellout show. Secondly, I thought maybe a hundred people would be there. And third, I thought, well, maybe I could just kind of experiment there. Yeah. Which after I found out it was a sold out show, I was like, oh shit, I gotta get serious. <laughs> yeah, right. You know, and it sold out in like six hours. Like it blew my mind. So um, and I did some songs up there at the show, and I was like, ah, this is not really translating as I thought it would be, or I thought it could. And so skunks went over really well, motherland went over really well. I did coming home that night with Matt Freeman, that went over really well. And I did a Ramon song. I did the UK sub song and that sub song went over well. I could, and I was kind of like, we're calling it an evening with Lars Fredrickson. So I, I would do some, a few rancid songs, some bastard songs that I hadn't played in literally however long, 2005. Right. right? So 15, 16 years or whatever. And I would kind of give people like, Oh, you know, St. Mary, this, you know, we wrote this song, Matt used to have a, a Virgin Mary on, on the dash of the, the red van on our first tour and it was kind of like a good luck charm for us. So anytime that we did a band tour, that if, even if we sold the band or got yeah, the band, yeah. that Mary came with us. You know, it's sure. like we're very, we're very superstitious as a band. Yeah, you, believe it or not, but, it works. Um, <laughs> yeah, and then we were listening to a lot of like Johnny Cash at the time. And I grew up in a Mexican neighborhood, and it was primarily primarily Mexican. And I saw how loyal the women were, you know, and see how they loved their men like really hard. You know what I mean? And I, I didn't necessarily know if I felt that experience. In my, I don't know how to explain it, but just the, the connection. I, mm-hmm. I could always, I was always, uh, I guess I was a romantic maybe. So, and so the lyrics kind of came from this place and what I envisioned and what I, you know, imagined. And also was about this one girl who I won't tell, you know, because <laughs> I was with her, you know, but she ended yeah. up screwing me. So I don't want to yeah. give her any, any credit. Right. But um, basically she told me she was pregnant and then I was going to do the right thing. And this is when I was in my teens still. And then it turned out like, you know, five months later, she doesn't really showing. Oh, damn. And it, it like, and, and, <laughs> oh, damn. So, yeah. So, um, anyway, so, and I, I was just kind of tell these stories, like how maybe how the songs came about, like where we were, and whatever came in my mind about the memories. Cause, you know, sometimes we'd be playing with Rancid up there and we'll be playing like rejected. And I'm like, fuck, I, do you remember the loft? Fuck. I'm like, fuck. And you remember when we shot the fucking hyena video? Yeah. Like, you know, remember Brett Reed's fucking, you know, uh, Impala and just the, whatever it was, you know, and just these things that were popping in my brain, like things I hadn't thought about forever, you know, or when we would play Wolves and, you know, the, when we played Jane DeMilo, I just remember how me and Tim, Tim sang it. Like we were in the same room at the same time. We had a, 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 a piece of glass in between the two microphones and we were singing it going back and that's why it's so oh like, wow yeah about yeah. me about it's like because we're like we're in it together you know yeah, it's right like if we're, you know and just like these little things you know and uh someone <laughs> i was reading like one of my posts uh i posted something and some guy goes uh explain it how a cat lies awake when it sleeps i saw that yeah 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 and i just thought that was the funniest <laughs> shit ever and I, just, I think i said science or something like, yeah, yeah, yeah. but like it's about like you know it's the cat napping you kind of sleep with one eye open yeah, you right. know how cats do right. that's what I, we were trying to describe yeah 
You know what I mean? I like, have heard that solid. song 7,000 times, whatever it is. <laughs> I had never even, like, it never even factored in. I went, oh, shit, that guy, he's got a point there. <laughs> but, but, and, and that's the Never thing. thought like, about I, it. Yeah. I think in avenues and alleyways, I said, pits the dogs against the cats. Now we laugh hysterically. We actually, when we play that live, we stop it so we can really bring it home. But it was like, <laughs> that's like five in the morning trying to finish up the lyrics. I'm just trying to think about blacks versus whites, gays yeah, versus yeah. straight, you know, dogs versus cats. This is genius, you know? And then we <laughs> sang it and then it's like, it's out. You can't right. change it, you know? Right. So, but I was trying to describe like, let's just unify, but I'm going to say dogs versus cats. Like everybody knows dogs and cats don't get along. Of right? course. Of like, course. I don't know what I was fucking saying, but whatever <laughs> I said it. And we always laugh about it. Like we think it's like we've had better days. We've yeah, had yeah. better moments. But we were so fucking tired trying to get that record done. Like shit came out of our yeah, whatever. Yeah. Right. But then great things like Time Bomb. Like you think about Outcome the Wolves, there was five songs that weren't on the original recording that we went back in and recorded more. Those songs were Journey to the End of the East Bay, The Way I Feel About You, The War's End, uh, Disorder and Disarray, and uh, uh, 11th Hour. So those songs weren't initially thought to be on the record. And Tim said, I got a couple riffs. I think we need to do them. So we just, and I had yeah. a little Sammy and, we, we just did it. And it's like, all of a sudden it's like, oh, now it's the record. So the original thing, they weren't going to include these five songs. Could you imagine out from the walls without those five songs? No, absolutely not. So, and journey to the end of the East Bay. Are you yeah, right. kidding me? 11th right. hour is the second song on the record, you know? So it's like, you know, things the way that they happen, whatever. And, um, I, we're totally off topic, but I, I forgot what the question was because I got lost in Jenny DeMilo and the fucking, the comment. Yeah, uh, boy, I don't remember what the question was either, but it sort of brought up a few other ones. But but so we okay. started sort of down that road by talking about that first solo show and then right. sort of all the other shows get canceled. But as being somebody who had played thousands of shows at that point with a variety of different bands over 30 years, but having a sold out solo Lars Fredrickson show at that point, is that a different sort of nerves for you? I mean, playing by yourself with just the guitar and how to even how to even approach being a solo artist after this long is that yeah i mean that's so funny because it's and it all goes back down to dan hodge you know 10 years ago dan started off as my guitar tech in rancid and then he tour managed the first uh, first bastards tour and then he started working for um then he, he like worked his way became our tour manager now he's our manager yeah and it's like he just went up to the chain of command and about 10, maybe, maybe longer ago, and he was on the road and he's like, dude, you should really do like a Billy Bragg thing. Like, I think it'd be awesome. Cause I think in the middle of the shows I was either doing to have and to have not or, and little, or little Sammy or both. There was, there was shows where I would do both. And so he suggested to me, I said, nah, man, I'm a, I'm a band guy. Like, yeah. I don't, you know, whatevs. And then I started kind of thinking like, so, and this is all, he had mentioned it to me before we had done the garden show and I sort of then blew him off again. And uh, well, we were talking about something and he mentioned that I blew him off 
And then I realized playing the garden was like, so, you know, everybody has a bucket list, right? Yeah, and you, sure. it's like the unachievable things that you'll think that you'll never do. Right. And I, and I had three of them. You know, one was playing Saturday Night Live, check. Yeah. Playing the Oakland Coliseum, did it twice. So check, check. And then Madison Square Garden. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? So <laughs> all of them are checked off, right? So um, I was like, well, I need a new bucket list. And then I started thinking, well, fuck. Like, um, I kind of started thinking about it. Well, what if I did something like that, you know? And so I called up Dan and I said, well, okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I know I shut you down every single time you've ever brought this up <laughs> to me. But how do you, what do you see it as? And he goes, dude, I think you could, it's simple as this. You go up there, you just do your thing, you tell your stories, whatever it is, you just have fun with it. And for whatever reason, and I just started thinking about it, I was like, I'm nearly 50 years old. Um, most of the things that I've ever wanted to accomplish or didn't even know I wanted to accomplish in my life, most importantly, the, the stuff in here, I've kind of, I'm working my way there or I've done it professionally or whatever it was. I said, if I don't do it fucking now, if I don't give, you know, if I, if I kind of say, and it kind of goes into the like way I'm thinking about the world. It's like, I feel like there's so many boundaries, right? There's so much separation. We can see it. It's pretty obvious yeah. to us. Sure. Right. And it, you separate your, yourself from people from race, creed, religion, all those things. Uh, the, the news networks that you watch, the, the, whatever it is, there's, you can find everybody, the wrestling program, people are pro wrestling. There's like, I sort of jumped off, and I know you're a huge wrestling fan. I sort of jumped off the wrestling thing, like what it was WWF or NWA back or WCW back yeah. in the day, and then it got so it got like weird and crazy for a while. And I, you know, I was sort of at the right age for it for a while, and then I kind of went, you know what? I think I need to step back from some of this. I was huge into it as a kid, but well, now it's WWE versus AEW. It's, yeah, it's like. And it's just like, fuck, it's just wrestling. Like, who right. gives a fuck? You're not a better person because you watch a particular show. Yeah, right. It's like, don't, why are you looking for validation about, you know, championing some cause? It's just, it's fucking mind boggling to me. So yeah. all that separation, you know, it's, it's, and it's all about, it's all about the, the no, I nevers. No, I never will. No, I, and I started thinking about it my, to myself, like, you know, and with the no, I'm never or all that shit becomes there's where the judgment is, you know? Yeah, yeah. And it's like, and I feel like that's when it all kind of starts. Cause once you start getting an idea about something that you've never done or someone that you've never spoken to or something that that person says that might be taken out of context, or maybe it is whatever, it doesn't fucking matter. Once I start kind of going, I'm right, you're wrong. That's when the separation happens. That's why everything's so fucking polarized right now. And I don't mm -hmm. want to, I don't want to be part of that. Mm -hmm. That's not my world. That's not the world I want to live in. I'm not saying I live in my own little world. I don't. I'm a realist, but, and I don't believe in utopia. I mean, honestly, the, the fucking dystopian society that we've been predicting in punk rock for the last fucking 50 years is here, ladies and yeah, gentlemen. Right. Seriously. Thank You're welcome. So, anyways, <laughs> so it's like, you know, I mean, I wasn't going to do that anymore. I didn't yeah. really want to do that anymore. Like I, I don't really have time or the patience. So I, you know, I'm still can be a judgmental prick. I'm a fucking human being, right? So I'm not like, you know, fucking Buddha or Yoda or some shit. My point is, is that like, I kind of started seeing how I was doing that in my own life, right? And it was, and, and how I was doing that within my family, within 
certain things. I would, no, I'm never going to do that. No, I would not want to go do that. No, I don't want to go to a PTA meeting. No, I don't want to, I don't want to fuck talk to a bunch of fucking squares in Patagonia and fucking Lululemons, right? Yeah, yeah. So, but it's like, I started kind of separating myself and then now I'm judging people driving Range Rovers. Like, why the fuck do you care, (laughs) right? Exactly, right. Or a Prius. It's like, you know, but there is a sense of entitlement that comes to that. But my point is, it's like I was separating myself from all this shit. And I was not only that, but then now I'm forming all these judgments. It's keeping me separate, separate from my, my fellow fucking human beings who are having their own fucking experience. Right. right. So, and who, who am I to get in the way of that? Who right. am I to get in the way of their own personal growth? You know? So, cause that's what I'm about. I'm about growing from in here. Right. So um, I said, fuck it. I'll fucking do it. I'll fucking do it. And then like, I, like I said, like I talked to Chris powerhouse, who's, godfather to both of my kids and the guy i was living with at the time who also promotes a lot of the local hardcore and punk shows here sure and when i when i do stuff with the casuals or whatever band he's always involved because he's my my brother you know so it's like i know that like every it's like what what he talks about his expenses those are his expenses it's not like some inflated right you know fucking bullshit you know so um i said hey you know, do you, do you, what do you think about this? And he said, yeah. And I said, and he said, well, how many people do you want to book it on? I said, dude, I said, maybe a hundred people are going to show up. I, like I really legit believe that. I didn't think many people would be interested. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it was self-doubt or just, you know, humility. I don't really know. Um, but, uh, like I said, it sold out in like six hours and I was like, fuck. So that's kind of how it started started to kind of happen with, with it. It was all, I owe it all to Dan Hodge. Thanks, Dan. <laughs> uh, it's how did you settle on and maybe settle is the wrong word, but on sort of an actual direction to take some of the songs, whether it's playing them solo or for the actual record. Cause I mean, there's a lot of guys, it's the punk rock scene. And so for the last decade, especially there's been a lot of guys who get out and grab a Martin acoustic and grow a beard and do that thing, which is awesome. Right. But there, but there, there's uh, that's not necessarily anybody's picture of Lars Fredrickson, obviously. No. Um, well, and yeah, and I and I think it's not that I consciously went in there and and thought I'm not going to be the guy with the beard and the Martin, but I feel like I went in there saying, well, this is going to be more Billy Bragg, and Billy Bragg never held back. Yeah, right. You know, I wasn't going to become Bob Dylan. I don't like Bob Dylan. Right. I mean, he's got a few good songs. Yeah. But that's it. I'm not a Bob Dylan fan. Sorry. You know yeah. I mean, um, it doesn't make sense to me. You know, I, I do like a few of his tracks, you know, Sh- uh, uh, Shelter from the Storm. I love that song, but I don't want to do folksy shit. I want to yeah, yeah. do something that's banging. And yeah. yeah, there's acoustic guitars on the record, but I also wanted to bring, you know, this, you know, I wasn't going to be like, you know, um, you know, in 82, I was <laughs> the young one in the bunch. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, you I, know, nah. that's a thing that people do, right? And that's fine. But mm-hmm. That's not for me. Mm-hmm. I'm always, I love aggressive music. And I feel like no matter how you strip it down, you know, whether, you know, for me, it was like, it's just as simple as the fucking, the dirty guitar and my dirty ass wannabe Peter Chris voice. <laughs> so that's what I wanted to, to if anything, I, that's kind of just what I wanted to do. I, it wasn't anything conscious. I just, I had had experiences, you know, cause Rancid did an acoustic 
kind of thing back with Domino's. Yeah. And um, I, I kind of feel like we were one of the first bands to kind of do that thing. Um, I could be wrong, but I kind of felt like we were, and that's probably one of the reasons why we did it. But I kind of remember going in there and feeling like, you know, seeing the different, having to change kind of things where I wasn't projecting as much and having to lay back a little bit, but still keeping that thing, you know? And so I kind of learned it that way because I, if I went too low, I just felt like it was boring. Like there's no grit to it. And I feel like punk music and this kind of style of music, it can be in this format and it doesn't have to be less gritty. It just got, it's gotta be, for me, I feel like the singers that I really love, no matter what, kind of thing that they're doing whether it be skinhead reggae or soul or fucking you know blue beat or fucking punk rock or fucking thrash metal or fucking look at rob halford i mean that motherfucking that dude just fucking goes for it right yeah right and, like, and it doesn't matter what kind of song it is you can still hear hear that grit in them in them you know and and it's aggressive even like a song like don't go like if you think about it it's like it's a really you know he's really putting it in there and that that's that to me seemed more viable with what i could do not that i'm i don't think i'm that versatile but i also think that like you know wanting to bring that level of like well what you see is what you get which is the truth and that's the way i've always kind of lived my life but if i brought that with it then maybe that would be it and I, like i said i never really start i did this kind of because i thought well when else am i going to do it Right. That was number one. Number two, I wasn't trying to prove anything. Mm. Um, and number three, I, I honestly didn't think anybody would fucking care. <laughs> I really honestly didn't. I wasn't doing this. This was like part of my spiritual thing. Like yeah. this, I mean, this is one record. This EP is the first of four that are up here. And the next three are going to be more concentrated on original stuff most likely the stuff I originally recorded mm-hmm. before I got to that place that you have now. Mm-hmm. So I'm almost working in a way backwards because I've got, I've got four covers in mind. I've got four ways I'm going to explain it. I've got, you know, at least, you know, 12 songs to put on these records, yeah. if not more and whatever comes out. I mean, I've got all kinds of shit in my brain. I want to make it like a, a, a tough seventies rock and roll record at one point. I'm going to do it. And um, because I love that era of rock and roll, I love Slate, I love T-Rex, I love Kiss. Yep. You know, that was a very big part of punk rock, you know? I mean, Slade were the first fucking skinhead band, for Christ's yeah. sake. Right. You know, so it's like, you know, so to me, it's very natural, you know? And uh, it's, if it's street and rock and roll, and that, that, in that umbrella, I see punk rock, I see all that stuff that I aforementioned, the reggae, everything. That's just rock and roll. It's just a different form of it. It's like Brett Gerowitz just said to me, if there's music that your kids are listening to that you don't like, that's the new punk rock. And yeah, I fucking yeah. blew my mind. Yeah. And like my, my oldest was 14 and traditionally just as loved Slayer and Exodus and all the barrier thrash, you know, he just went to see Playboy, Playboy Cardi just recently. And uh, he went with one of his little skater buddies and because he's all skatered out and yeah, yeah you know your shit and went by himself he's 14 years old he went to the bill graham civic or whatever auditorium there and uh got in the pit and fucking when he came out he was a pile of drenched a pile of sweat he just 
he's like, I just went for the chaos. And I said, what did you think about the pit? Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm just like curious to what he says. So I love the energy, man. It feels like I'm like letting go. And I'm just like, okay, well maybe it'd be nicer to your brother. But, yeah, um, right. but like I said, that's why I <coughs> got attracted to this kind of music because I felt like it was a release. And I said, how you're getting it is rad. I never, you know, and it, so if he's going to fucking Playboy Cardi or if he's going to fucking Slayer, which he saw when he was like nine years old, you know, <laughs> yeah. and he's, he saw so many fucking bands when he was like five. It's like the kid doesn't even, you know, he's forgotten more. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Metall- yeah, yeah. Metallica, you know, hanging out with James Hetfield, you know, like you don't care, you know, yeah, he's yeah. Just whatevs. But, um, uh, you know, I remember one time, oh, this is a funny story. So we were playing up in Vancouver and, uh, and uh, uh, we had we had a day off when Metallica was playing, and then Metallica had a day off when we were playing, and we had the day off second. So we so anyways, we're planning on to go to each other's yeah, shows, yeah, right? Yeah. Because we had just done this tour with in South America, and we sort of rekindled the friendship after whatever twenty some odd years. And I, you know, we'd see Lars and I'd see James from time to time at different places, you know, whatever. And. Uh, uh james comes into into the bus and he's hanging out and i got both of my boys with me and wolfgang's wearing yeah because he had the metallica shirt from the night before james sits down and i'm introducing everybody and uh he uh he says uh james says because james has got kids and he's like hey wolfgang he goes hey man nice to meet you and wolfgang's wearing a rock his metallica shirt and he goes and he goes nice shirt and wolfgang's like yeah, thanks. I'm just kind of like <laughs> doing one of these. I'm like, whoa, bro. Yeah, right. I go, no, 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 no. You gotta, you know, show this man. And James is laughing because you know it's he's got kids. He understands. And, sure. You know, but it's just like those little experiences that these these guys have had. Not a lot of kids would get, obviously. Right. But you know, the fact that he's going and searching out whatever his energetic thing is is fucking rad to me. You know, because you got to go let them do their thing. You got to go let them experience and stumble and fail, like I said. Yeah. Or find out what fits with them. You know what I mean? And whatever fits with them, I'm going to support. I don't give a fuck. You right. know what I mean? It's like I found my shit and I'm better off for it. Right? So you're going to find whatever that is for you. It's fine. Yeah, I battled that. Uh, so my daughter and your son are roughly the same age. Uh, and so I battled that for a while like fighting it or wanting to steer her in the direction of the stuff that I wanted her to listen to, because I know how important it is for me. And she's been to a bunch of shows and met a bunch of people and has no idea how cool it is because she, whatever it's what she grew up with, she doesn't care. Uh, And I, I, so I started to fight against that for a while, but sort of more recent years, I started to think about my own, the music that I listened to and how that was sort of, rebelling against my parents or whatever right. but it but it wasn't because it's all rock and roll and so i wasn't listening to springsteen i was listening to rancid uh but so i sort of just very, like I, I feel like that's almost similar because and i'm not saying that we're anything like bruce springsteen but bruce Spring, springsteen really writes about real shit and I feel oh like yeah what's the connection once you sort of view it from ten thousand feet or whatever it's like oh it's all the same neighborhood and i know that i listened to like early uh, late 80s hip-hop and r&b and whatever because i was 10 12 years old at the time and so it was right in my wheelhouse and so i've kind of just gotten accepting like she can listen to whatever she wants i don't i'm not going to steer the car that way but i've sort of like come to 
at peace with like the stuff she wants to listen to. Although it's funny because I was flipping through the radio. I was going to put on whatever pop channel she likes to listen to on the way to school. And I, I passed the Nirvana song and she's like, Oh, put that, put that song back. I said, wait, you like that? (laughs) She said, yeah, I like that song. I have it on my Spotify. I went, Holy, it was this weird moment for me. It's like, Oh, she got to be 13 years old. Now she likes the shit I listened to when I was 13. Right. Well, but that's the funny thing. It's like, you know, I've had experiences similar to that, you know, because like I never was a Nirvana guy. Like I understand their importance and whatever, but they never like struck that nerve with me. And then Wolfgang was learning territorial pissing. Yeah. And they were playing it downstairs because my son's a drummer. Wolf plays guitar and they're playing it downstairs. And I was like, that's a fucking rad riff. Yeah. I go, what the fuck is that? He's like, oh, it's a Nirvana song. I'm like, what do you mean it's a Nirvana song? And how do you know about fucking Nirvana, right? Yeah. I said, no, it's a song called Territorial Pissing. And so I went to that song and checked it out. I'm like, fuck, yeah. this is actually a really good track, right? Everything else, I'm not, you know, I've tried to check out more and I was like, whatever. But my point is, is that like, they've actually have turned me on to stuff that I never, hey, what's the kid that, Joe, what's the kid that died, the 21-year-old that Soren was obsessed with? Juice World. Juice World. Yes. He died in the Chicago okay. airport. Yeah. I happened to. Correct. Yeah. So my, my, then I guess he might've been eight years old at the time. He was all into Juice World. And yeah. yeah. I, and he was playing it all the time. And I was like, this kid is fucking great. And then I found that he passed away and I was like, fuck. Yeah. Like here's a legit dude who's connecting with me. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. He's half my, he could be my kid. Right? right. But he's connecting with me in this way that like, he had that power. You yeah, know what I'm yeah. saying? And you so can tell he's been through some shit. You know what I mean? Like right. and the way he yeah. processed. Yeah. Yeah. He was great. But if I try to if I try to play fucking, you know, some some white lines or some public enemy for my kids, they're like, this is yeah, whack. Exactly. You know, so and I'm just like, public enemy is not whack. Right. First of all. So, right. but anyways, like my dream, I would love to like start a band with an iced tea. I think that would be some shit. I think that would be some next level I feel like that's in his wheelhouse. You know, I think so too. I mean, I know he's got body count and I got rancid and stuff, but I feel like if you can mesh those worlds. It's it's like, it's like Lollapalooza. Well, well, but I mean, I think like it could be legit shit because he ain't afraid to speak his mind. Yeah, absolutely. We get together, bam. I feel like that could be some shit. Uh, Maybe, you know, I don't know. I've met him once. We've talked, we know of each other. I actually saw him perform when i was 11 years old with my friend wade mendoza and it was at the one step beyond it was iced tea egyptian lover africa bombada and the soul sonic force and houdini wow and i'd never been to a show to like that in my life and i was literally the only white kid there yeah but like and i had a little mohawk and and i just <laughs> remember that was drawing a lot of the attention but i was with my buddy wade and his dad was a vietnam vet and just he was so cool. And you know, he, he had all, I remember because he had all these Uzis and shit, but like he would always invite us in, in and he had, you know, there was a lot of the kids, right? And he always took a, a liking to me and made me like feel like part of the, part of the family. Yeah. And when we, they went to the show, because Wade was more into the hip hop stuff. Like that's how I heard Run DMC for the first time. That's how I heard all of that old hip hop for the first time. I was like 11 yeah. and then I was turning them on to GBH and discharge. I don't think he was really getting it, but <laughs> right. my, my point is, is that like, that's how I got exposed to that all, you know? Sure. But, but my kids don't like it, but whatevs, it's still my shit. Yeah. But then someday they will, you know, someday they'll stumble into it, whether it's, you know, stumbling through your old record collection, it, it like 
I don't know. The brain chemistry changes, I think, at some point. And the stuff that you liked before, you don't like. And then and then you well, sort of like underappreciate stuff at a different level. Well, I feel like, you know, from my experience, once I could start getting like boners, that's when I wanted more aggressive <laughs> music. That's really when I feel like I, that's when I really went there. I mean, I yeah, always yeah. liked rock and roll, but when I started getting into discharge and crucifix and I was maybe popping rods, I don't know. <laughs> well, that probably lines up. Yeah, <laughs> Maybe. Sorry. Uh, no, you're exactly right. I mean, frankly, it's that way for a lot of us, right? That 12, 13 year old but, era is like, that becomes the music. And there, there is actually some guy wrote a book about why the music that you like when you're at a certain age of your development is the music that sticks with you forever. I forget the name of it. It's on my nightstand, but um, it's, but there is, there are sort of biological reasons for the stuff that gives you joy at certain ages when your brain chemistry is changing and obviously 12, 13, it's like, like all different parts of your brain are lighting up, but the start, the, right. the stuff that gives you sort of comfort or that you can relate to then becomes like you form these pathways in your brain that that's always going to be the stuff. Like I'll go back and listen to tribe called quest song from 1990 that I probably haven't heard in 15 years, but I can still like, it still makes me happy. I remember the first time I heard it in my parents' basement. I can still recite most of the words, but there's like there are biological reasons why that happens. Not to get all like dorky and whatever, but but well, that's no, my I, natural I, resting state. <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because I, you, for whatever reason, you mentioned that band, and I started thinking about Wyclef Jean, right? And I remember one time we played this uh, festival. It was in the '90s, and it was like with some of the black metal bands, like Emperor and shit like that, you know what I mean? And I think like the, it was like some, some techno band, the orb was headlining this whole fucking thing. And is this here like, or is this overseas? No, like this is Europe. over, this is like in Sweden yeah. or something. And yeah. I, and we would, so we played with the Fugees and I, I think we were the kind of only bands that were kind of like that kind of thing. And I remember, you know, cause Wycliffe was music, you know, he liked, he liked all kinds of shit, right? Yeah. And I remember we went and we watched uh emperor and they were doing their thing with the corpse paint and the whole fucking thing and he just looked at me he's like yo <laughs> this shit's next level and i'm like fuck yeah like yeah you know, so it's funny because uh, how you say it i you know as far as the aggressive music i think you know how we find it and how we stick with it it's gonna it's always going to like sort of manifest in different ways in the music like you know cannibal corpse sounds nothing like exodus which sounds nothing like Judas Priest, to my, yeah. in my opinion. Yeah. Like, so, and it, but it all starts with Motorhead, right? So it's yeah. like that's like the gateway drug to hard right. music. Like right. it doesn't matter what hard music you like, if you don't have Motorhead in the mix, yeah, then you're yeah. fucked. Right. Right. If there's no Motorhead, there's no modern day hard music. I'm sure we would have gotten there, but it needed that catalyst of that band, right? Right. And I think it's one of those bands that everybody, you know, back in the day, the punks claimed them in the fucking metalhead yeah, yeah. right you know so maybe maybe that's where the, the 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 beef starts but um long story short i feel like you know having that experience with him just in seeing this aggressive music you know what i mean and identifying with, yeah. with him and him identifying with me like we're watching some shit right now <laughs> you know what i mean right it's like that was pretty cool was absolutely like, i don't want to take up too much of your afternoon i just okay. realized that we're over like an hour and i want to be i doesn't matter respectful of that but uh, i'm having a good i'm having a good time so uh, well i appreciate that um the other i'm trying to think of 
I didn't even write questions down this time. I said, because I've talked to you before. It was a few years ago was when Holger Danks came out. I oh. said, you know what? I went into all these questions and I said, you know what? I didn't even talk about any of the questions because we just had like a better conversation that way. I said, you yeah. know what? I'm going to just not even go in with questions. I'll have a few bullet points and then we'll just sort of go. And we've hit on a lot of them. But one of the things that, um, so you guys obviously just wrapped up the uh, Boston to Berkeley tour with uh, Rancid and Dropkick and the Bronx. And how, what's your take on being out there again? How was that experience being back out in the world now that things are theoretically open? Well, first and foremost, it's human nature that the show must go on and you must survive, right? And I think this, this pandemic hit a lot of people in a lot of different ways, you know? And I think it hit musicians. It seemed like musicians and clubs and club workers and, and techs, yeah. and they were, they were the last people on anybody's fucking mind you know yeah. politicians weren't paying attention to those people yeah. and a lot of musicians make their living and how they put food on their table and it's not just guys like me or anybody else i mean there's thousands of people you've never even fucking heard of that are are are, are dependent on playing a gig to feed their fucking family right and it goes from country western stars it goes it goes all on the gamut of musicians and there's as we all know there's a million different types of it so if you eliminate all of that that's a whole uh, segment of your workforce that can't, you know, put food on the table for their family. So, you know, number one, that was challenging, I think, for a lot of people. I mean, sure. you know, the guys that are my techs can't find work. They, you know, that's, you know, what I mean, and it's like if you're tour managing a band, that means you basically can't work in the real world. You know, what I mean? right. you have to, right. you, you know, what I mean, you have a certain skill set and it's really good for this. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean. Right. Yeah. So I'm not saying that, I mean, I'm just, I'm trivializing, but I think that like just being back out there, the biggest thing that was the, I guess the weirdest thing is like not having anybody in the back. So it's like, you can't have guests in the backstage. You can't visit the other band's dressing room. You can't do all these things because you're trying to keep everybody safe. Right. Cause you don't know, sure. you know, there's so much bullshit out there. You don't know what's real and you don't know what's not real. So it's just better to be just safe. Right. Yeah. Right. So because one fucking opposing thing is saying, ah, my, you can't do this, because if you wear a mask, then you're a communist. And this guy says, well, <laughs> if you don't wear a mask, then you're a Trump supporting Nazi, right? Yeah, so it's like, right. uh, right. so all that bullshit aside and that all, all that fucking polarized shit right. out there, it's like, you're not visiting your family. You're not seeing your friends. Half the reason why you do tours is because you run into these people yeah, right. along the way. You know, you're saying, hey, dude, you can come to the show, but I can't see you. And sometimes you would have one opinion and sometimes you'd have another and just be like, look, I don't give a shit about your fucking opinion. You right. can come. I can't see you. That's yeah. the facts. Right. Okay. Right. So that was one big thing that was like, and then you couldn't visit anybody on show days. So if you wanted to go get a haircut or whatever, you do it on your, whatever. So yeah. you stayed safe, just wash your ass, wash your hands and try to eat good. You know what right. I mean? Right. So it's like, I mean, that's the one thing that out of this whole fucking pandemic, no one's ever talking about your immunity, immune, immune system and how you could do this with food and the shit yeah, that you put in your right, body, right? Right. It's like, no, let's fix it with this. Yeah. Take this. You'll yeah. be fine. So that was kind of the strange thing because you're not really surrounded by that element, that energy, you know? And, but I think what it did for the band. I think we had some of the, probably the most focused shows we had ever had in our lives because, and it was almost as if, because you weren't having all these distractions, we were actually, not, I can't, I, to say that we were getting to know each other is, is not the actual correct term, 
because we know each other, but because we're very intimate, there's an intimate relationship between all of us, you know, and I, when you talk about intimacy, I'm not talking about people think about sex. Yeah, yeah. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like the core inside of you, right? The actual connection. Yeah. Correct. So I feel like, you know, um, we got more intimate with each other. We got more close with each other because there wasn't the distraction of who's got the right pass. This guy's bitching because his name wasn't left at the door or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, yeah right. We were because we were on the bus, the four of us, most of the day. Yeah. Because you can't go out and be in the world. Right. Because right? you don't want to harm anybody. That's why that tour went out basically without incident. Right. You know what I mean? Like right. a lot of these tours were a weekend falling off. Yeah. Bands weekend falling off. Well, probably not washing their asses. I don't know. I wasn't there. But my point is, is that like the biggest change was that. So I feel like it almost like helped us in a way to really sort of focus who we are, what we're doing there. And it wasn't you un. It wasn't unique to hear somebody yell from the back, hey, I just want to let you guys know I love you, dudes. I'm so happy to be here doing this with you. Yeah. And you you forget sometimes, you know, what what you, you know, it's hard to be distracted, hard not to be distracted out there, especially. Right. But, you know, and just in the world. But yeah, out there, it's almost, you know, double time. But I feel like because you got the show, you got the family, you got the audience, you got, you know, all the whole fucking rigmarole. Right. And, and so the, the connection of the band, it's not that it was lost. It's just, it was almost like it was recultivated. You know, I don't know how to, how to explain it, but it just, we grew, we were kind of here. And then if we could get, if I could squish my hands any further in, yeah, yeah. that's, that's where we grew too. Well, it's sort of what you were talking about before when you're um, at the beginning of the pandemic, when, you know, you had gone through the divorce and your mom was sick. And so realizing the things that are important and your sort of connection to those things internally, but being on the road with the the four guys kind of makes you do that collectively as a band. You know what I'm saying? Well, yeah. And I think that's, that's, that's a very fair assessment. I mean, I, I think that like when you go through things and you start realizing what's important, it's like when my brother passed away, um, you know, I don't necessarily know if I really took it all the way in, mm-hmm. you know? And it wasn't until like my mother, my mother's passing that I kind of relived my, my, my brothers. And I, I acted so much differently with my mom than I did with my brother. There was obviously a lot of maturity in 20 years, but, um, or so I actually was about 19 years, but, um, like I just, I faced it differently and it was only because of time and because of like self introspection, you know, and it was only that self-realization that got me to that place of like, uh, this is not happening to me. Like I said, Mm -hmm. you know, this is happening to them. It's now something I have to deal with. And you know what? I'm more than prepared and equipped to deal with this. I have the emotional skills, you know, I have the physical skills and I have the mental skills to show up for this person in their time of need on their passing to whatever's waiting for them on the other side. Right. Mm -hmm. So, you know, what was hitting me at that time was a gamut of emotions. And, and, and thankfully I had a great partner there, you know, to help me through this stuff and, you know, help me grow and get closer to that spiritual thing that I have, you know, and had all these realizations and made a lot of peace with my brother, you know, piece that I didn't think I need to make. It just yeah, kind of yeah. came up. Yeah. <clears throat> and then peace with my mom, you know, cause my mom was witty as fuck, you know, 
and she was she was so funny even to her to her dying breath you know and um just i could make it was like the sense of humor that my mom and i shared it was like no holds barred <laughs> it was fucking cool yeah yeah, yeah. and uh i remember when she was at her sickest and i knew that she needed like a little pick-me-up i said you know i kind of set her up <laughs> i said i said uh hey mom i go you're losing a lot of weight she goes yeah i'm on a new diet i go yeah what's it called she goes cancer <laughs> and i said well it's good for me you want to know why she goes why and i go because they charge by the pound at the crematorium you know what i mean <laughs> which and is dark as hell day. except that if you're going through that th to me that's funny but but that's that's the thing that's yeah, the yeah. bond you right. know and it was that's the most fucked up thing that you could say right but the fact that she had that self and you know she knows i'm you know i yeah. mean but that's how fucked up we were that's you know, I mean, in a good way, you know, yeah, that's yeah, the sense yeah. of humor. You know, I remember when I, I, one time I was at our house one time early on when Salvation was kind of blowing up and, uh, and she was having, she was, she was, she was, <laughs> she was about to retire. And uh, she asked me if, if I could help her out a little bit. And I, and I said, yeah, so whatever, I'm in the, in the chair or whatever. And Salvation video comes on MTV and she comes up to me and she goes, I hate this fucking song. You know what I mean? It's like, it's just, just shit like that. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that's the, 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 uh, the relationship that we had and we kept that humor and we kept that connection like that, you know, because that's where we, we, we related a lot. And we yeah. loved each other and, yeah. and took care of each other. Of course. Right. But like there was, there's also this deeper thing, you know, where we could be that, have that sense of humor with each other. And that's the true fucking connection that's the true intimacy you know yeah, yeah. That you want right you know and it, she laughed her ass off and i laughed my ass off and it was like it sort of like diffused the heaviness that was happening you right. know and it acknowledges the elephant in the room but it's you can also joke about the elephant in the room well that's the thing that's Fat what ass. humor humor and comedy does yeah, yeah. it recognizes something and it diffuses it because right. there's so much shit that's so divisive in this world today. And people make it a, devi a divisive issue out of a non-divisive issue. You know right. what I mean? Right. And it's just, it's fucking ridiculous. And humor was always there to sort of diffuse all that and make us all take a look at ourselves and laugh at each other, laugh at our differences, laugh at our, 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 our different experiences, laugh at everything and realize that it's not fucking that it's not that fucking important, you know, and right. music does the same fucking thing. It might have a message. You might tune into it or you might tune out of it. You know what I mean? And sometimes it has a statement. Sometimes it's just for shits and giggles, you know? Yeah. So like, I, like I said, even in the gods and guns song, it's fucked up, but I'm right. Yeah. I mean, come on. <laughs> How arrogant is that to fucking say? It's a little bit more tongue in cheek. Yeah. Right. You know? So, and I think people who know me know that about me. You know yeah. What I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. So. Did, did did that time period, especially with your mom, uh, I know that that material didn't end up on uh, to victory, but did that sort of inspire other, like, did that whole situation bring out a bunch of other songs? Did you find yourself able to write while going through that? Or was it too much like in the moment and you have to kind of give yourself time to process how you'd even write stuff like that? No, I mean, I think the writing was the processing, you know, mm -hmm. and the song, why I redid Motherland, because I wrote that song, obviously, that's for the, on the old from Casuals or yep. Olga Dance. Yep. Why I redid it 
was almost like a goodbye, you know, and because that song was originally written for her. Because I literally like when it was all coming down and and, you know, and I think I mentioned it in the liner notes, but I just said, hey, do you want to like any any kind of religious thing? She looked at me and she said, I'm a fucking heathen. You know, I don't yeah. want any of that shit. Like, yeah. I'm going where I'm going, you know? Right, right. And to me, the fact that she's, you know, she didn't all of a sudden, be, she was a, her authentic self to the day she fucking died. <laughs> yeah, right. Like, how the fuck? Yeah. Like, I know I, I've had moments where I think, well, if I'm fucking, if, if I'm dying, I'm praying to Muhammad, I'm praying to Buddha, I'm praying to God, I'm praying to fucking. <laughs> Whichever, yeah, maybe, yeah. Right. Or whatever. Like, yep. I'm just, you know, wherever I'm going, mm-hmm. you know, whoever, which, what, you know, yeah. was anybody right? Well, which I just one is going to take me? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. I want to cover my bases. Right. But I think that, like, you know, going through all of that stuff, I mean, pain is definitely the touchstone to a lot of creativity for me, you know, and there's always been a lot of anger and a very dark side of myself. And, and I've talked about it. I've never talked about it to the extent that, I've, that I'm talking about it now. But I, but that was a part of myself I wasn't going to share with anybody, right? Mm-hmm. I wasn't going to share. I don't. But now, because maybe because I was maybe uh, not maybe maybe I was a little bit. Um, I would preempt preempt certain thoughts or certain things because of the reaction. I'm like, now I don't give a fuck. Now yeah. I'm just like, whatever, yeah. fucking yeah. blow me. You know what I mean? I don't care. <laughs> Yeah. So, and it, to live my life like that now, because what I have is, is not something I've ever had. I have, you know, my family environment, my home is, is filled with love and respect, you know, and accountability, you know, and that's something that I've never had, you know, and I have that now and it, and it took a different perspective and it took me to be willing enough and open-minded enough to listen to a perspective of someone who's 10 years younger than me. Right. Yeah. And, and you can hear her. So, um, right so on now, cue, by the way, right on cue. Boom. <laughs> she's quick. She's quick. Yeah. But so, so, so now that, you know, that I'm seeing this different, this different idea, I'm basically with a millennial. Right. Yeah. Um, and I'm seeing that point of view and I'm understanding a little bit more, it's helping me understand myself. It's helping me understand my kids. It's helping me understand my relationship. And honestly, you know, tapping into those places for creativity is easier to get to. And I normally, normally start everything that I've ever done with a sense of desperation, a sense of hate, sense of judgment. And, you know, that's traditionally how I've always rooted up. I don't mm-hmm. like fucking fascists. So I write mm-hmm. a fucking record called Holger Dansk. Yeah, and right. this, and, you, know, you know what I mean? I don't like fucking racism, right? So avenues and alleyways. I don't like fucking, you know, people who discriminate for gender and all that shit. So it's like, you know, there's songs about unity. I don't like any of that stuff. It's all separation. I've been that way my whole fucking career. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's like, look, you want to know where I stand politically? Listen to a fucking record I made. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. It's pretty simple. Right. So, um, you know, but the thing about it is, and what I've learned to understand is that fascism, like we talked about, can happen from both sides of the fucking aisle. Absolutely. I'm sorry, it can. Yep. And um, my mom grew up, growing up in a situation where there was fascism brought upon her, knows that firsthand. Yep. So I learned that, you know, I learned how to look at those things differently. But I feel like where I'm coming from now is a place of like real in the soul, you know, like what I'm writing about what I'm doing is about like maybe more of what spiritually is happening for me. 
And it's not, it's, it's constructed in a way that maybe you might not know, or maybe you will, but it's, it's more personal. Or maybe I could say, you know, mm-hmm. in that way. Yeah. I think even though people are familiar with the songs that are on uh, to victory, they sound more personal. I mean, even, even uh, skunks, right. It, it's, still plugged in electric guitar, Marshall stack, whatever, but it sounds more personal. I think that you're able to convey that with the vocals, like the the vocals and the lyrics match. Uh, And so it sounds more personal that way. Then, then obviously it's a good song with the band, but but it sounds more personal when it's just you and a guitar, but it's not like hippie ish, like introspective. It's like, like it's still a badass song, but it's personal that way. And you start to feel Yeah. And I feel like, you know, becoming a little older and looking at what I needed to do, the survival mechanisms that I, you know, picked up along the way, the gang mentality that I've always had and I always will have, that's always going to be big parts of me, right? Because that's what I, that's who I am. It's where I come from. It doesn't mean that like I'm any better or any different. I've just searched for my family or looked for a family outside of the one that let's say God gave to me. Right. Yeah. Right. So um, for me, skunks is personal because, you know, the, the, the guy who started that whole thing on Halloween this year, we just spread his ashes in the ocean, you know, okay. he was f- 55 years old. Most of those guys that I grew up with that turned me on to this thing called punk rock. Yeah. I mean, Sean, his name was Sean Gregonis, right? And he was a big, in 1979, he was from San Luis Obispo. He moved to our neighborhood. I remember walking down the street. He's got X shaved in his head he's carrying a boom box he's got a white t-shirt he's got blue levi's 501s and boots and rolled up jeans and, and i'll always remember that visual yeah i'll always remember that visual yeah. and he's blasting out some dead kennedys or something whatever it was i don't know i couldn't tell you because i didn't know the music yeah i just remember the big x shaved in his head right and uh my brother gravitated to him and that's how i really got to know sean and sean this skunks skins punks and drunks right it was about unity right and it was about all of us kids in that neighborhood, you know what I mean, that were into punk rock. And we all got together or, or that kind of stuff. And we formed a bond. And there was Bulky and there was um, uh, Sean and there was my brother and there was Rob and there was, you know, the list can go on and yeah. on and on. And I was always the youngest one. So that's always going to be a core part of me. And I'm, and, you know, I'm, I'm out there in the Bay and we're spreading his ashes. And I'm thinking this guy played such a pivotal point in my life, you know, even though like later on in his life, you know, because of addictions and things like that, he ostracized, mm-hmm. he was ostracized from a lot, a, a lot of us, but mm-hmm. um, he still played a, a fucking important part of my life. And mm-hmm. he brought me into this space of where, how I think my sense of humor, my, the way I look at the world, like, you know, even though he was like, you know, maybe five years older than me it was still a huge oh sure yeah absolutely yep. i mean the first oi record i mean that was the record that's still in my collection was his record that he gave to me when up for my 15th birthday yeah, you yeah. Know? so it's like you know these little things that that i hold on to very dearly to you know but i hold on to them in a different way and it's maybe it's a more place of uh it's a place of uh, a more soulful place you know it's not about protection or or strength anymore. It's about love and honor. And, and I feel like, you know, that song in particular skunks reason why I revisited it is because that song is the same thing that it was 
when I first did it to now this new way that I've done it, maybe it's not so new, but my point is, is that it's still the same thing. And that's the one song that like throughout my, you know, musical thing that I feel has summed me up in the best manner. You know, sure. there's been many songs that I feel have summed the way I think and who I am up, but that song in particular is, is about a pivotal point in my life where my life switched, where the Kiss records went into the shelf. You know what I mean? <laughs> where the punk records now made their way in, yeah. where, the, where, I, where I started bleaching my jeans to my mom's disdain. I yeah. just spent $25 on your jeans. <laughs> sure, you yeah. Know, you know what I mean? And it's like, this is, this is the thing that's still here, you know? And it's a big part of who I am and it's how I view the world. And it's a, it's a good place to start from. And for me, I mean, obviously I see the world in a lot broader, bigger way through experience and through travel and, yeah. you know, visiting different countries and seeing different cultures or seeing how people live, you know, and um, working with different artists, whatever it was, you know? So, you know, I feel like, you know, that song in particular is the core center. And that's why I put that song in the very last one, because it's almost, it's like, a, it's always going to be part of the repertoire, but it's, it's, it was like the period, like I said, at the end of the sentence, you know, it was kind of like, okay, here's what it's been. Here's what it's like. I've tried it. I've taken you from kiss from me being four years old, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Gene Simmons of uh, the Gene Simmons poster on Kurt Heindel's fucking ceiling when he's <laughs> spitting blood yeah. to like the UK subs, you know, which I was a part of, you yeah. know, one of the thousand guitar players. Yeah. Had. I'm still there right I'm on the wiki page. You are right? on the wiki page. Can confirm. So, <laughs> you know, and then, then to the bastards, to the casuals. And then here I am now. And, you know, I, the rancid thing I thought spoke for itself. So I didn't really need to revisit that. And it was something that's like, I just, I just thought, you know, this is a song that would feel good in this realm and uh, got, and see like another song that I would love to redo. Maybe it will, it will appear on another, you know, one of these EPs is Holger dance. I feel like that's one of the best, I mean, from the intro thing today and some of all, fuck. Uh, anyways, the intro, I forget fucking what's that fucking title. I, I fucking came up with the title. Why do I fucking pre this is <laughs> hold on a second. Okay, now I can talk to you better. But anyways, I can see you all a lot fucking better. Yeah, right. But That's um probably better to keep them off. Yeah, and some Uve. Sorry. So it from that part to Holger Dance, that's supposed to be a thing, you know? And I feel like uh, you know what I was writing about. And, and the information that I was finally receiving from my mother, because my mother never talked really about, you know, the war and these things with us, you know, she never really truly like opened up about that. You know, it wasn't until, you know, later on in life, or maybe it was a maturity thing, I don't know, for us, but to really understand the gravity of what, how our family was involved and how these uncles and aunts and people that I'll never meet, mm. you know, or never have the experience or the pleasure of knowing we're taken away because of fascism, right? right. We're taken right. away because of this idea of you can't think that way. You can't right. look that way. You can't pray to that person. You can't, I mean, think about it. It's like, it's, it's, it's insane to me, right? So that would be one song that I would maybe try to revisit because I feel like that is another one that kind of sums up things. But um, yeah, skunks, I, yeah. I think I'll link to all the videos and, and wherever everybody can find it, people should go uh, 
by this from Pirates Press or from Lars's website. Like I said, I'll put all the links down below. Uh, thanks for chatting again. It's always it's it's genuinely a pleasure. Uh, you're it's only been a couple of times now, but you're one of my favorite people to talk and do this oh, sort of thing true. with. Uh, and so, um, like I said, I'll I'll link to everything. Everybody should go by to Victory and 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 everything that comes out else after that and. We can uh, certainly talk about those things when the time comes. But uh, well, look at my kid. My my kids have sneaker sneaker um, addictions now. So if you buy two victory, it's just going <laughs> to buy a pair of Jordans, and I'd really appreciate that. Or people can buy stuff from Laz's Locker, which I th- <laughs> I think is one of the so, coolest things. Well, I I well, never. That's the thing. I ne- like it. Always happens when I'm not checking my phone for a while, or I'm at work, or something like that, and I look back. It's like sold, sold. Like, that would have been cool. That would have been cool. Well, well, but the thing about it is I got so see when my mom passed, you mm. know, her kitchen was the size of like my, my dining room table. And she had like nine kitchens worth of shit yeah. in her fucking. And I was just like, I cannot do this to my kids. Plus, you know, 10,000 records. I'm yeah. never going to listen to this stuff. Like, right. so why can't anybody else enjoy it? Like right. I'm, I'm kind of just cleaning house and getting rid of like clothes and guitars and, yeah. and all kinds of stuff, you know, yeah. so that's where that's coming from. Check, check out Laz's Locker. Check out the wrestling podcast. Check out to Victory. You know where to find Rancid. I don't have to tell you that. But Laz, thank you so much for doing this. 